Welcome to What CEOs Talk About. Do you wonder what CEOs talk about behind closed doors? How they bring their vision to reality? How do they overcome and succeed through adversity? We share that and so much more with each episode. Now, let's get started with the show. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Hunter. I am the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate strategy into frontline operation. Today is going to be a boom, boom of a session. Isabelle has been away for a full month, so she's been itching to have conversations. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Isabelle is the founder and CEO of Leap Zone Strategies. Go check out all the information is in the uh, narrative below. Isabel, thank you very much for being on the show. It's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm happy that we finally get to connect. I'm stoked. I'm stoked. What is the... So Isabel and I in the pre-show, we're just kind of going back and forth what we want to talk about. So I think that this is a great topic that we have never talked about. I think we hit... We got a few episodes in 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 the mill right now, but I think you're like number 40 and we started back in January. So we've been so I don't think that this title has been talked about. So Isabel, you're it. What's the title of the show? The title is How to Become the First, the Best, and the Only to Be and Stay Undisruptable. Because we always ba, ba, talk about yeah. right. <laughs> Well, we, we, we hear a lot about it's important to, to disrupt mm -hmm. and being disruptors. And I completely agree with that. Mm -hmm. But we rarely talk about what it takes to be undisruptable. Mm -hmm. So I thought that that was going to be a great conversation for CEOs. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's start with Isabelle for a little bit. All right. Let's sure. go a Cole's note, who you are. So for people who don't know you, which I would be surprised because <laughs> you're you tend to we've met on the speaking circuit on the west coast but you talk yeah. and you speak across north america and europe have you been in europe yeah around the world it did, but yeah. yeah 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 exactly so isabel tell us your story oh my god my story well to begin with i'm a no-nonsense uh dynamo this is how i'm i'm being uh, described all the time <laughs> no bullshit kind of girl which is true you know i've got a 100 pure quebecer breed so <laughs> we say it like it is that's for sure um you know i i was literally i was raised in a family of entrepreneurs mm -hmm. uh, for me being courageous would have had to have a job mm -hmm. um, as opposed to be an entrepreneur and there's nothing wrong with having a job there's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with being an entrepreneur it's two different paths my families in my family the most most everybody are entrepreneurs mm -hmm. and um, I learned a lot from a very young age about entrepreneurship and customer service and what to do to make life better and mm -hmm. so yeah you know I, I was raised behind a hairdresser chair <laughs> my mom was a hairdresser and uh, my dad was a, a radio tv uh, talk show host 
and uh, always had a million things to say. It's probably where I got my gift of gab, but <laughs> the gift of hair and the gift of gab. Your, gift your of hair, hair your gift. hair is always amazing. You can always tell he's everybody the awesome hair. Like I'm jealous. I I I switch my hair for a hat. Yeah, uh, it definitely I, is part of your brand. I I see you with that with that kind of hat, and that's part of uh, you, which is great. It's part of the sixteens, the sixteen of them that I own. But uh, yeah, keep my coconut because I can't I can't do I can't rock the hair because there is nothing to rock, and I don't like blinding people with my forehead. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right. So uh, down in Quebec, I'm assuming somewhere around there. So you grew up yes. here, uh, the daughter of a hairstylist and a radio talk show host. Yeah. And, you know, right out of my teens, I started my first business. I knew hmm. that I was not going to. Uh, I knew that I was unemployable from the get go. So <laughs> <laughs> so started my first business with my uh, my partner, which we are still together. We've been together in life and in business for 30 years now. What? You're celebrating 30. Isn't that not freaky? Wow. I know. I've we've been together longer than alone apart in life because we're I'm 49, she's 48. And um we've been together for 30 years. I mean, that's just ridiculous. She's but patient. She is very patient and tell you what, <laughs> so am I. <laughs> Actually, patience is the one thing I really don't have. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so we started our own uh, graphic design studio at oh, the time. Wow. And by the time we were uh, early 20s, we had uh, 22 employees, a team of 22 at some point uh, early on. And, you know, I didn't know anything about HR. I didn't mm. know anything about, you know, KPIs and <laughs> just I was a great artist yeah. and designer and brand builder and strategist. And that's what we did. And of course, we learned a lot um, from just being and doing and perfecting mm -hmm. and course correcting. And so I've been in business my entire life, even I had a, a business as a, as a kid. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom had me pay for my schooling as of nine years old, or part of the things as of nine years mm -hmm. old, I worked with her at the salon. And I was always the one that had an idea and something to sell something to create to make life better and that was mm -hmm. me from from very early age i think there's a there's a there's an interpretation of being an employee or an entrepreneur that the one thing that i like to tell other people is that they feel that you're one or the other you can't be both and i think that some are more than others in one direction but you i've i've held jobs before and sometimes you you go in and out, especially yes. in, in today's world where you I always tell people, go, go sharpen your skills, work for a big corporation, see how a big company functions, mm -hmm. go work for a small company, see how a small company functions, right? Yep. Learn to cohabitate in different type of environments, because yep. working for for a big corporation is not like working for a small. And then when you have a good feeling of where you fit, try a few things. And I think that that's, like you said, there's nothing wrong in being one or the other or both in parts of your life. Sometimes you have people that have a job and have a side hustle and they're both. And there's nothing, totally, like, absolutely. Like you said, you're nothing yeah. wrong with that. It's just changing the hats, right? Yeah, and I remember when I moved to Vancouver 25, 27 years ago, I did have a job. I worked for a graphic design studio mm. and for a, a short period of time, it gave me 
uh, the confirmation that that was probably not going to work. But the thing <laughs> that I heard all the time is, Isabel, you're too innovative. I had ideas to grow them to a seven figure business mm -hmm. where they did not have that vision nor that objective. Mm -hmm. And, and I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Why did you hire me then? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and eventually I, I left and built a seven figure business and that's totally okay. Not that, you know, I, I but that's what I heard all the time. You're just yeah. too ahead of the game. You're too innovative. We're not ready for that kind of innovativeness. I'm like, okay. So that's... you were industry disruptive within the organization. Da, 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 da. There's the puchu. There's the plot. We've we've inserted the plot. That's of, right. <laughs> that, that's what disruptive looks like. So tell us before we go into how to be bulletproof or non-disruptive. What, how did leap zone come leap zone strategies come to come to birth? Yeah. You know, so our first company was uh, scenario design and okay. 13 years into it. Mm -hmm. Um, we had been there, done that. And by the way, we, mm -hmm. we've been coached since day one in our business. Cause mm -hmm. unlike what you just said about the importance of going to work for a large corporation or organization to really learn the ropes, I did not have that at the mm -hmm. time. So right away, I knew where my strengths were, where they weren't. And we hired a coach in a time where coaching didn't even, it, oh, let man. me tell you, it didn't really exist and it was not hip at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, but did that. And then 13 years into it, decided to sell that business. It was, you know, uh, turnkey. It was working really well. It was a well-oiled mm. machine. And I felt like the challenge in that had been accomplished. Mm -hmm. So we sold, traveled the world for a year, took a year off. And then this is where Leap Zone was born. We looked at what worked really well with our previous business, what was not there, what was missing for us and for our customers, mm -hmm. and um, what were we, we what were we willing and not willing to do? Mm -hmm. And then Leap Zone was born. And then 10 years after that, we moved. Now we have our own retreat center here for mm -hmm. CEOs, teams, and entrepreneurs. And um, that's on Vancouver Island, where we lead branding, marketing, and business growth retreats um, to really help people grow and scale. And that was the, the next piece that was mm -hmm. missing. We did strategy weeks and strategy sessions, and mm -hmm. but it was all our clients would go to a hotel and then we'd meet in at the office in the boardroom. Mm -hmm. And that's not the setting. I believe in taking people outside of the natural habitat in order mm -hmm. to create disrupt better disruption, right? So Absolutely. So that's that's kind of what lead what led me here. And um, one of the things that I I often talk about is dyslexia. I'm dyslexic, or I have dyslexia. And a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of amazing CEOs experience dyslexia. I'm putting my and, hand up. Yeah, I we are very amazing people. Let me tell you. <laughs> I can't read. I can't read. So my my boy is not dyslexic. And so I read uh, graphic novels like cartoons. And I cannot I, I can't like I can read an email. But if it's handwritten or kind of like the handwritten print in the bubble, I just can't read it. And I, I read basically like a four year old and my nine year old boy goes, Dad. Give me the book. I'll read. <laughs> yeah, give me the comic book. I will read to you. You know what? And and I used to honestly, I used to think that this was the bane of my existence. It, you know, growing up as a child oh. at our age, we're, we're similar age here. Yeah. You know, it's it wasn't known. It wasn't understood. Uh, it was you know we were. I, I kept being told you're very disruptive. I'm like, okay, yes. I all I want to know is 
the answer to this question. I can't mm -hmm. read the board, so someone's got to tell me what it is. But anyways, all that to say that today, I know that it is part of my genius because how I see, how I understand things, how I view things, it's very different than most people, which adds to my role and, and what we do with our clients. We, we tend to look for solutions because we cannot see the writing on the wall. We cannot see the writing on the wall. It's That's a simple right. thing. So what other people see in their common use, like, why, why can't you see that? Well, I can't. So I always find ways to find solutions that are different than yeah. what the common stream is. And there's nothing wrong with being normal. There's nothing wrong with being, uh, I, for the longest time, I had a chip on my shoulder where everybody had an MBA, right? All of my peers had MBAs and I did not. And then finally, my partner, she said, what is $90,000 going to give you? A piece of paper? Because what are you going to learn? What are you going to learn at Queen's University? You've been there. So I, I started my MBA program there. She's like, what is, I, I love Kingston. It's a great school. Uh, well, what are you going to learn? It's like, you know everything. You just want that goddamn piece of paper. Yeah. I like, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the question is, what are you going to learn that you haven't yet learned doing, doing it? Right. Cause you know, I went to school, I have a bachelor's degree and I will tell you, I've learned more in my first and second year of developing my business than any of that, any of these five years, you know, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I said, there's nothing wrong with the educational pro process. It was more of a, Hey, look, I got a piece of paper says that says I went to university too. And to which I know I joined the military. I was, I barely turned 18 years old. So I had the documentation all filled out when I was 17, but when I turned 18 is when I joined. So I did not go to university. So anyways, long story short, that's what it was. So yeah. leap zone is created. Now you're going at it. Let's talk about how, so let's, let's, let's see what the enemy looks like first. So when we talk about being disruptive, what comes to mind? What, what do you think when an organization is disruptive? Well, when an organization is being disruptive, it means that they have, they know what their customers really need. Mm -hmm. They also know how to create something. They've created something or a product or a service mm -hmm. that is irresistible to a certain piece of people, a certain piece of the pie. Okay. And being irresistible in when you're delivering something better differently than anybody else mm -hmm. or better than anybody else, that creates a wave that that has the potential to create disruption. Apple is a, obviously a great example yeah. to to use, right? Now, mind you, Netflix came about and then uh, the streaming of videos, mm -hmm. instead of having, you remember, we went to a video store, <laughs> stood there for a while, <laughs> right? We had to bring it back on time. Oh, oh my, my goodness, God. pay the fees and oh. Yeah, you know, and disruption has happened. It's happened through COVID. It's happened through hundreds of years of smart people going, there is a problem and mm. I want to fix this problem. And the solutions that are out there, they're, less than par mm -hmm. and I've used these solutions. I've experienced them and it doesn't come close to. So uh, a company that I talk about all the time is Provident Security. This is a security company here uh, founded in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Now they're obviously North American wide, but Mike Jagger is the owner, the mm -hmm. founder of this company, not, not the Mike Jagger we know, mm -hmm. the, another one. <laughs> but 
Um, so in this security, in the security world, mm -hmm. when your alarm rings, police response time is an average of two to two and a half hours. Okay. And the very company that you're paying, the insurance, the sorry, the security company, yeah. it's anywhere five minutes is like when they phone you. But if there's burglars in your house, what's a phone call going to do? Right. Exactly. So their physical response time is anywhere between half an hour and an hour and a half. Well, this guy went like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. If we need security and we need to be protected, there needs to be a better system to get someone at the door within five minutes. Yeah. So had this been easy to do, other companies would have done it. Mm -hmm. But what this guy went to do and went, okay, people expect fast response. They think they're paying for fast response and then they get the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. So he created new technology called Blink technology that mm -hmm. allows them to be on premise of a five mile radius or a whatever mile radius mm -hmm. to be there within five minutes. Well, that's a disruption to an industry. Yeah. They're the fastest security grow, uh, growing security company right now. And their ads online, now you're going to see them somewhere, their ads online say, are you paying enough for your security company? And not only that, because they've created a new system to be there for their clients mm -hmm. within five minutes, if you're a client of that company and you, let's say I go out one night, middle of downtown Vancouver, middle of the night, and I need someone to walk me back to my car or bring me back home, they do that. They actually really help their clients' security in all aspects of it. That's but they sweet. got, yeah, they got to do that because they innovated and they disrupted, they gained trust and then their clients go, what about this? Could you deal with this with me? Mm -hmm. And of course they're growing their services, but first they disrupted. Mm -hmm. The, uh, m my definition of disruption is if I take a burger, right? You go, I'm used to going to McDonald's. I've gone to McDonald's. I grew up with McDonald's. I go to McDonald's and that's where I have my burger. Then all of a sudden you see this other burger, you go, well, maybe I'm not going to go to McDonald's. I want to try that burger. And anything that takes you, takes the consumer away from their original path to say, hey, let me discover. Now there's different phases of consumers, right? There's the early adopters, there's the laggers, there's Correct. all of that. And there's different levels of disruption. You're talking about a lower level of disruption and disruption nonetheless. Correct. And so what takes away take that piece of the pie, right, is to say, oh, oh, hold on, there's something new. Oh, but it's also better. So what am I doing? Because the reason why I'm saying that is because too many people think, like, how many security companies are out there? You can think of any word. Think of yeah. Avalon, think of Buddha, think of Mountain, think of uh, any, but any word in front of security, I'm sure that there's a security company name. That's right. <laughs> Sparrow security, pirate security. I mean, there's, there's yet this gentleman, Mike Jagger, was able to innovate within an industry that has been set since the beginning of time. That's right. So don't think that because there's 15,000 different burger joints out there that you cannot be a disruptive burger correct uh, you know what funny that you talk about a burger because a friend of mine had a hot dog stand a shop mm -hmm. on granville street years ago and he had a five uh yeah he had a 100 hot dog and a five thousand dollar hot dog what 
Then, of course, he had the three, four, five, six yeah, dollar yeah, yeah, hot dog. Yeah. My point exactly. So people, this got known. And then they were like, what could possibly be worth that much for bucks. a hot dog? But you know what it did? It disrupted. Did he sell millions of $5,000 hot dog? No. Did he sell a few? Yes. But it was to disrupt and get people to go, I want me there. I want to try that. I want to go there. I want I want a $5,000 street meat hot dog. That, that is amazing. Now, now I'm curious. Now I'm like, oh. I wonder what's in the hot dog. I like, it was oh. actually like a lot of booze. Like there was booze and 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 um, yeah, do beef or and all that. Lots of awesome little unique things. And actually, um, Asians were very curious about that. I remember him saying that there was a lot of uh, Southeast Asian that were really curious about that hot dog and visited his shop. And you know, your point of the lower level disruption, yet disruption nonetheless. Like, I don't want people to think that disruption needs to be, you need to disrupt a whole industry. Mm -hmm. You can just disrupt uh, uh, your neighbor business. You can mm -hmm. just disrupt the way your potential clients and customers think about this particular problem. It doesn't have to be you're revolutionizing the world here, right? Mm. I, and to prove, sorry, to prove no, your point of that right now, due to COVID and all that, 60% of consumers have tried a new product, a new service for the first time. That's mm. a lot. That's a lot. And it's proven that 89% of them will stay with that new option. So if you're not really working at making life better and disrupting and innovating to the slightest or to the biggest, you're going to be in trouble. It's Italy. So let's, let's talk about very traditional and, and well-rooted Italians are very <laughs> set in their ways. You know, if you're married to one. <laughs> So it's funny. You go to Italy. You have you have Italian food in North America. You'll have risotto. You'll have pasta. You like you go to Italy. You go. You go to the south of Italy. We don't eat rice here. That's what the northern is. Like what? You're like 200 kilometers difference. Like what's the big difference? But they're so traditionalist. Anyways, so Italy through COVID, who are used to going out to do all their shoppings, increased their online shopping. Can't remember. I think it was like 60 or 70 percent. Oh yeah, there. yeah. And they're now. I don't want to say they've been disruptive. It takes a little bit longer to get there, but they've they've changed the way that they're consuming. People forget right. that human beings are very simple creature. You think, you feel, you do. In that order, it, that is biologically rooted in the way our operating system works. We think Correct. we leverage emotions or we engage emotions, good CEOs, accept or good CEOs, good parents, good people, good everything, understand their feelings. They say, Oh, you, 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 you stole from me. Therefore I'm angry, but they don't let anger dictate the action. Mm -hmm. They go, they go think that I shouldn't act in anger. I'm still angry. You recognize your feelings. You embrace your feelings, but you still don't do according to, I'm not going to go punch that person in the face. It's not right. Yeah. And you don't let that feeling drive your action. Correct. And that's how, we do it with extensive or, or uh, borderline emotions. We cry, we're angry either way, but a lot of smaller consumer based emotions are not noticeable to us. Mm -hmm. And therefore we go, Oh, I want to try something different because human beings are, are, are 
uh, creatures of of instinct. We we would like to learn. We like the new things, but we also like to teach. So therefore, hey, Isabel, I tried this new burger joint. Come with. That's me. right. So we like to teach. We like to share. We like to collaborate. So if and that's where that branding you're talking about being disruptive, saying, hey, I'm changing the way people think. I'm changing the the way people feel, because now I've been able to influence a few early adopters to be able to build that trust. Cause that's what you said was, was very important. So now we've got the definition of disruptive. How do you become, cause this, I'm curious because I mean, saying that you're undisruptive, that means like undisruptible, undisruptible, yeah. pardon yeah. me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Like I've been in fights. I've, I know how to, how to avoid punches, but sometimes it's going to land. <laughs> so tell us, because I'm curious now, how do you, how do you help organizations really achieve that? Yeah, there's uh it's, it, there's a few key ingredients for this mm -hmm. and it's, I don't want you, you guys, all of, all oh. of the listeners to uh, mistake basic for foundational. So what I'm about to share is actually not revolutionary, but it revolutionizes when implemented smartly. Okay. So um, first, you know, we need to understand that, you know, as business owners, as CEOs, as, mm -hmm. as leadership, the leadership team mm -hmm. is very clear about where we're going. The front line rarely is. So in business, we have to be on the same bus mm -hmm. and the bus has to be very clear or flight, plane, doesn't matter, jet. It has to be clear as where it's going because a lot of employees are not aware of what makes their company, the company that they work <laughs> for and with, unique and different. The C-suite knows, sometimes, most of the time, uh, people don't know. But <laughs> by pure luck, if the C-suite knows, yeah. um, not luck, but by, by intelligent work, yeah, if the C-suite knows, then the rest of the organization really doesn't. So when I look under the hood of an organization, I, this is what I see. I see a group of people working towards A. I see another group of people working towards B and another group of people working towards C. And they're all kind of, they're, they're sure that they're working on the right priorities and they're, and they're sure that they're all on the same vehicle together when in fact they're not. Mm -hmm. And one of the first ingredients, so there's understanding that branding and mm -hmm. disrupting with your brand. Branding is not a logo, it's not a look and feel, it's not a website, it's not a product or a service, although all those things would not exist, mm -hmm. right? If a brand would not exist without these things. Mm -hmm. But what branding truly is, just to get some foundational pieces here, what branding is, is how people feel mm -hmm. when they buy you, right? How people feel when they interact with your brand, with your with your tribe or with your your employees your team mm -hmm. it's how they feel when they're at the receiving end of your customer service it's how they feel about the overall experience so if not everybody is on the same bus it's very hard to provide that kind of wow uh, experience mm -hmm. the first ingredient is the mission and I do not give a shit about a mission statement. Oh. I disagree with mission statements. Agreed. I don't care that people have mission statements. I care that they are all on the same mission. Correct. So 
a mission for us is one or two words that we teach our clients. And it's how you want to leave people feeling. Mm -hmm. We at Libzon, we want to leave people feeling on fire and unstoppable. Mm -hmm. All our decisions are made to deliver that mm -hmm. with our team, with ourselves, with our prospects, with our customers. Do we succeed at that every day? No, there are times where people are not happy. Mm -hmm. It's how we now deal with that, that adversity, that, that hiccup, mm -hmm. that's going to turn people to now feel on fire and unstoppable. Mm -hmm. A big, long mission statement that gathers dust on a website does nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't align a team to deliver an outstanding experience. So mission, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was saying, absolutely. At Urgio, we have Ignite Curiosity, Crystallize Thinking, Concentrate Action. So be curious about yourself, your business crystallize your thinking, you know, really focus on what you got so that you can focus your action. The mission is important on an annual basis. And that's what people tend to forget. A mission is a start and the finish. It's not a mission statement. Oh, blah, 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 blah. When you create an annual operating plan, you go by December 31st, we will have hit these targets. And it's very, the, the mission is transactional, not transformational. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. You need to have a place where it's written. What, where are we going to achieve? What are we going to achieve in regards to very hardwired metrics, right? But the transformational piece is exactly what you say it. Okay. So what is, what are the words that are going to drive the emotion for people to stand behind? We call that singularity of purpose. For us, it's to make sure that everybody is on, like you said, the same boat, the same bus. Is that what is the purpose? What what is our singularity of purpose? And I don't want to get confused. What's the purpose of the business? Yeah, that's the fine. Mission? Yeah, yeah. But it's okay. We need to cut the trees down. Okay, there's a pathway there. There's okay for ten feet wide. We need to cut all the trees for for hundred kilometers. That's not going to be easy. We're going to have to do it over year, you know, month over month. But this is how we're going. This is our purpose is to create this road. And that that I think you've nailed it on there is that too many people mix up key hard transactional data in how do we that's working in the business. We're working on the business is how do we transform ourselves? How do we evolve if there's no change, if there's no relationship? The brand is about a relationship with your consumers. It's yeah, the story. And, see, and, and I, what I would add to that is, so we need to be clear. The whole organization needs to be clear. What is the destination to yeah. reach in five years, in one yeah. year, in three months, doesn't matter. Then, well, it matters, but it matters yeah, that yeah. you're clear. <laughs> then the next piece is whom are we going to be? How are we going to be while we do? Yes. Because people forget that People connect with emotions and feelings. They, they might not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. Oh, absolutely. So whom are we being while we are doing? Very key here at LeapZone, we It's all about leaving people feeling on fire and unstoppable. And that drives our decisions. And then I have employees coming to me and say, well, in the, in the, uh, with the purpose of delivering this, then I suggest we do this, or I suggest we, we fix this this way. So it's not about what Isabel, the CEO wants. It's about what the brand mm -hmm. demands, right? So that's ingredient number one. Ingredient the, number two, go ahead. I, the emotional state, you touched on emotional state because I think that is a critical, 
So I always tell when I, when I talk with leaders and C-suites and we bring people together and say, okay, I'm going to say the same thing twice. Tell me which one is more motivating. I come right. home and I, I look at Tracy, I look at my partner and I go, hey, I love you. Then erase that. I come home and say, hey, babe, I love you. Which, which one actually means something? What I said the exact same thing. Yeah. How I said it yes. is critical. One says, hey, I see you. I hear you. I know you're there. The other one says, hey, love you. Just passing by. It, both are somewhat impactful, but in different methodology. So Correct. I think that it, what Isabel said, the listeners and people are listening or watching, the emotional state that you leave your employees, your team is critical. So that, that I think if I, I, there's a lot of things that you said, but I think for me that that yeah. is, is, you a know, a really lot of people, key. people think that employees quit because of more money somewhere else. Oh, and no. most of the time they quit, they quit their bosses, they quit their team, mm -hmm. they quit their lack of feeling a sense of belonging mm -hmm. and employees can go through thick and thin for you, assuming that they feel like they are part mm -hmm. of the mission and the vision and they they belong what you are how whom you are being they want more of that they feel like they belong there so Agreed. that's part of the brand foundation it's not a marketing thing it's a, yeah it's a brand foundation piece right so when you're clear on that the second ingredient to be undisruptible is your brand promise what does your <laughs> brand promise being very clear about that when i pull 50 employees out of a company they will tell me each their own thing it's not, how is that helpful right there's a bunch of people going into very their energies going in a bunch of different directions so at leap zone we promise clarity we promise pivotal shifts and we promise momentum we measure that daily in fact every coaching session we do everything we do with our clients we measure that a promise could be a five minute response time in a sea of two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. There's a, a, an insurance now, before it was security, now it's insurance. There's an insurance company <laughs> in Europe that um, they promise to wow and delight. Well, can you imagine? That usually doesn't go with insurance company, right? Insurance companies usually. I was trying to think. Opposite. Did you see my eyes when you said insurance? Wow, delight. How do you connect those? Right? <laughs> and you know what? You know what they do? Building from there. Talk about disruption. When let's say my house floods, escape, escape, delete, delete. Let's just not make that happen. But someone else's house floods. <laughs> so if they're a client of that company, yeah. they will send them on an ideal vacation while they fix their house. Now, would you rather work with a company who's going to find loopholes? Fuck me, probably my friend. <laughs> Correct, right? So again, just by being themselves and by making life better differently, they are automatically disruptors. That is crazy. Who, who's that insurance? Can we say who that insurance company? You know what? It's incredibly funny. I cannot remember the name of it right now, but I can find out. <laughs> Send it to me. We'll you. put it. We'll put it. Okay. So as you're listening or watching, you'll know the information before we know it. <laughs> oh my God. It's crazy. But I will tell you, it is, it is, that's the point is from the inside, the CEO, the founder, because sometimes mm. the CEO is the founder, yeah. but the founder is founding something different. Even mm -hmm. though there's billions out there that, sim that 
kind of does the same or delivers mm -hmm. the same. I am different than you. Therefore, mm -hmm. my experience, my ways of thinking, my beliefs would automatically develop something that's different and mm. hopefully better. So it's not about looking at the outside of your business to disrupt, although mm. it's important to know what is top of mind problems, mm -hmm. but it's to look within and go, why, why are we who we are? What's important to us mm -hmm. to leave people feeling and then to promise. And a lot of people confuse the promise with a product promise. Mm -hmm. A promise is overarching. It's mm -hmm. the entire brand. Whatever you offer, you know that whatever you buy from Apple, it will be life-changing, it will be innovative, and it will bust status quo. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what you're going to buy from there. You know that it will do, right? The... So they, they don't have a different promise per each product. They have an overarching promise. And that's where I feel people miss out on a lot. If I say in healthness uh, so in in illness and in health if i just say those two words a lot of people are going to say oh marriage right i promise to be with you in health and and in illness that's a that's a promise that is overarching that builds a relationship or a long-term relationship so that absolutely i think that that is key in ensuring that well you know the widget works this way and the word we're not looking for an operating manual as to say okay when you purchase, a lot of people forget that when you consume something, when you buy something, you, you, you buy for your, for your future state. If I buy hiking boots, if I buy new hiking boots, it's because, oh, I want to buy those because I want my feet to stay dry. I don't want my knees to hurt, and they're going to have great grip, right? That, I, I see myself hiking longer, hiking further, hiking yeah. better, coming back, not as my boots have holes in them. So therefore my feet are going away. So they project themselves in the future. That brand promise to say, I was thinking this is what's going to happen. I used the product and it did happen. So you're keeping your promise by ensuring that whatever the consumer is thinking about is actually lived through. So it meets all of the customer's expectation prior to purchasing. And that's what a lot of people don't realize what that brand promise is. It's not, what you say is what is the consumer really thinking before they buy your boots? And does it align? So Correct, yeah. uh, it's about aligning what the genius that lies within your brand mm -hmm. and your idea, your, your product, your service, and aligning that with exactly what the consumers think about it and love about it. When that is an alignment, oh. you've got a winner. Yeah, that's one of yeah, I know. the lightnings and right. <laughs> and that that, however, requires thinking. It requires time. It requires working on the business, not just in it for sure. Um, so so mission, then promise. The mm -hmm. third key ingredient is X factor. It's what is how is it that you're innovating? How this is where making life better lies truly. Mm -hmm. It's about how do we deliver this product or this service better than anybody else. Um, I remember there's an example, great example, a hotel, again, don't remember which one, but big chain. They had a very slow hotel, uh, hotel elevator. Mm -hmm. Everybody complained about the hotel elevator. Now, they could have spent millions of dollars rejigging the elevator. Instead, I they made it glass, right? So now it's an attraction 
And people actually don't complain that it's slow because they, they find that it's too fast now because they don't have time to look at everything, <laughs> right? So sometimes it's not about making something more efficient. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it's about really looking at what would please the customer? What would be unique? And how could we either better this or elevate that or deliver something differently in Korea? Uh, Koreans, at a glance, at a, not at a glance, what's the word I'm looking for? At a whole, mm. they hate grocery shopping. Mm. And there's a grocery uh, store called, called uh, Tesco. And they, they're grocery stores. So mm. they wanted to grow. And they're like, how are we going to get Koreans in here so that they can buy more of our food? And then they started studying Koreans and they started thinking, you know, how can we make life better? How can we make this enjoyable for them. You mm -hmm. know what they came up with? Train stations. Koreans travel in trains and, and mm -hmm. metros and they turned the train station walls into shopping aisles with pictures, not real food. Mm -hmm. It looks like a real shopping aisle. They have an app while people are waiting for their train. They click. are click, 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 click and shopping. And then when they get home, it's being delivered. So they grew 300% and they saved, I don't remember what the percentage of, of overhead because mm. they don't need big stores, yet they sell more. Now that, that didn't go from a CEO sitting there going, I wanna sell more, how are we gonna sell more? It went from, we wanna grow in this part of the world. They happen to hate us for these reasons. How can we make life better? There's talking about disruption a lot of people so there's this little um drug in the world called penicillin i don't know if you've ever heard of it <laughs> i've i've been pumped with it <laughs> people don't know that the person who truly invented penicillin or sorry i shouldn't say that the person who had the first thought about it Correct. is somebody who worked in the lab who was an assistant who went shopping, found this really cool little mold on a melon, on a cantaloupe. That person, female, brought it back, gave it to the doctor, and then from there, they created penicillin. Now, again, I don't want to go into this massive... Scientific proof. Yeah. <laughs> For me, there's, 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 there's a couple of things, right? One, it was a female because females couldn't invent back then because it was yeah. taboo and sacrilege. So this is yeah. a, a whole show in its own. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and then we can't go in the past, right? So gave it to the guy who's like, oh, I had a great idea. No, you didn't. She did. Uh, <laughs> but all to say that it's, it's not who you think. It's a collaboration without, without her being at the lab working for this gentleman creating it. The environment wasn't there. So you can't say she invented it. It's not, it's not true. She didn't come up with it. She, she, she found the triggers to create, to provide them with the opportunity, but without the organization, without the lab, without the partnership yeah. there, none of that would have been created. So I think that there's a couple of components that you're saying. One is <clears throat> how, how transparent are you within the organization on really what's the factor X within the business? How well are you communicating with it within the organization, right? How often, and 
it gets hard sometimes with explosive growth companies. I work with a whole bunch, you know, a year and a half ago, there was 12 people. Now we're at 52. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to get everybody into it. I shouldn't say into it. Everybody's excited and stuff. Sharing that information. Sometimes you just have to say, okay, we have to pause the organization to have, like you said, these retreats that go, let's take us away from what we're doing to say, hey, what's our real, what's our X factor, right? Because I think that if, if to you- To uncover, you're absolutely yeah, right, to yeah. uncover these things. And then my point with all of this is once you have uncovered the key fact, there are 10 ingredients in a brand foundation. We've only talked about three mm -hmm. right now, but- um, they all build upon each other. And mm. without this one, it's hard to figure out this one, for example. Mm -hmm. But once the key ingredients, even we call those the big three mission, mm -hmm. well, there's vision in there, the big four yeah. mission, vision, promise, X factor. Once you've got, gotten clear about that, the key, the super important key that I want to make here is the, the living of that is a minute by minute daily, daily not journey, but uh, mission, like mm. it's a, it, your mission, should you accept it, is to ingrain, talk about this, talk about it every day, find ways to have discussions around that. Then there's core values, right? We used to have 22 employees, which is small, mm. but in our early 22, you know, that was a lot, a lot That's of people. <laughs> How did we implement this, this, this brand foundation within our team? By having all of our pieces of our brand foundation in a propeller hat, and every huddle, every day, we'd pick one and we'd all talk about how we are being that and how we are not being that. Mm -hmm. And by talking about it every day, by rewarding people who behave in alignment with this and course correcting others that are not in alignment with that, that's a daily job. It's not, some, it's not the HR director's oh, no. job. It's everybody's job every day. We had a client that we worked with for five years and they were at the end, truly the bane of our existence. It was really challenging to work with them. <laughs> they unfortunately represented 75% of our revenue at the time. Also, and yeah. so I, I did not have the guts to let them go. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a replacement before mm -hmm. I let them go, which took a little longer than planned. And at some point, one of my employees in one of my huddles actually said, I truly wonder why we're still working with this client. They're challenging. They're not coachable. They're not, they're not getting the best of us. And, and it shows everywhere because they're challenging. And of course we tried course correcting along the way. Mm -hmm. It's not like, you know, we endured and then we yeah, let go. Yeah, we yeah, worked yeah. this through, but for an employee to know that they have a safe space to actually contradict and and not challenge, and yeah. bring challenge that's the word i was looking for thank you challenge us around who we have as clients i thought i felt like a proud mother i was like mm -hmm. yes i am building a culture that is open transparent we encourage disagreement we encourage uh, healthy battles for betterment and for course correction and without us living it every day, rewarding it and course correcting every day, we would not have created that kind of culture. It's it. Every time we work with a company, we come in and we do an operational assessment. So yeah. we, we, we call it operational efficiency overhaul. And the first thing that we do is we look at, you know, a vision statement that all of that stuff. But the one thing that nobody has that 
I think that we're disrupting is a code of conduct. And that code of conduct is based on off of the behavior. So we say, okay, what are your core values? So some mm-hmm. people say safety first, do this. Okay, great. What if I was to take a picture of safety, safety first at this company, what would it look like? Yeah, it's not good. It's not bad, right? So people tend to say, well, that's a good behavior or bad behavior. Well, if you look at a zebra and a lion in the savannah, if the lion eats the zebra, it's a good day for the lion. It's a pretty shitty day for the zebra, right? If the lion misses the zebra, it's a pretty shit, shitty day for the lion cubs. So there's no, there's always, there's always, mm-hmm. you know, multiple sides to a coin. So the code of conduct, we build off performance management. They say, how do I keep my people accountable for the work that they do? I said, that's transactional. Do you really want to be transformational? Use a code of conduct saying, what behaviors do you want to work on? That's right. What do you need to improve on? But those behaviors better match the core values that match your your vision, two or three words, as you said, right? Absolutely true. We do the same. And I even have a tattoo here. I have oh. many, but one of them <laughs> says happiness, and we could we could change this for profitability. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Happiness is when what I think, what I say, and what I do are in harmony, oh. and that is truly what we what we subscribe to and what we teach is what do you believe in as an organization, and then what do you do, what do you think, what do you do, what do you say. Are those things in, in harmony together? And are they in alignment with your brand? Because when I when I hear someone say, well, I know that Isabel wants it this way. No, no. The brand that I'm creating, that we are creating together demands that. And of course that brand's derived from Margarita and I, that we're the yeah. founders. And of course we're gonna build it the way we want to. It's our prerogative, it's our business. Yeah. And that's what the difference between my business and someone else's business mm-hmm. is how it was founded to begin it with what are the beliefs and what are the codes of conduct right so i totally agree with that and it's it's key here the the one thing that i want to leave people with is a tool that you said when you think of a daily huddle you know so many places i've worked with organization oh that's a waste of time really really it's a waste of time yeah we have our formal meetings we have our production meetings we have this the daily huddle is your opportunity within 10 minutes to go over a very specific things. You know, what's your top two? What do you need help with? Right? Correct. And, and, and that's, so I did this so I can keep track gut wise accountability. I know that Isabel said that she was going to do the branding guidelines yesterday. She was supposed to finish yesterday. She says, so Isabel says, Oh, um, I'm working on branding guidelines. Oh, did you not finish that? Isabel yesterday because it's fresh off my memory. Oh no, yeah. s- sorry, Martin. Something happened. Oh, what do you need help with? Well, actually, I'm struggling. Correct. If if we wouldn't have that conversation, how do I know as a leader how to facilitate and elevate if you don't have daily conversation? How to be innovative saying, hey, you know what? I woke up last night, I was watching the news, and I saw this. And you go, oh shit. We should do that. Right? That, like you say everybody's on the same platform in the daily huddle and everybody's got an opportunity to speak at the same level. It's a round table. It's not. And, we and- even provide, we even provide uh, an agenda. There's an agenda for a weekly huddle, mm. for a daily huddle, for a monthly huddle, what to cover, 
um, within each meeting. Very mm -hmm. simple, clean um, to actually, and it's not about, we have language for it too, like mm -hmm. offline. Okay, so you have an issue with this, who can help Leo with this offline? Because mm -hmm. we're not going to debate it in the meeting, Agreed. but we're going to assign someone that's going to help you. And you're right, uh, Martin, a lot of people say to me, it's, it's, it's a waste of time. It's death by meeting. Mm -hmm. And we're not asking them to be 75 hours in that meeting. It's mm -hmm. 10, 15 minutes, half an hour at the most, depending on what kind of, uh, mm -hmm. what kind of level of, of huddle it is. And let me tell you, it, 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 it puts, a spotlight onto what is going well and a spotlight onto what is <laughs> lagging behind and we need to know that absolutely how many times oh my goodness so so the top four so if you do those four things that you mentioned if you could repeat them for the audience please again so that yeah so four. mission which yeah. is how you want to leave people feeling and exactly where you're going vision which is the overarching mm -hmm. goal and objective obviously mm -hmm brand promise which is your uh, measurable accountability that is mm -hmm. overarching from uh, that all of your products and services will deliver mm -hmm. come rain or shine and then your x factor which is what is your key differentiator i also call it your money-making edge mm -hmm. and it's how do you make life better how do you disrupt how do you how do you innovate and make certain things deliver certain things better cooler um, so that people think it's irresistible. The X factor is a bit of a tipping point. Mm -hmm. Oh, I loved everything you said before, but that, oh, now you've got me. And when you have these four ingredients clearly in place and your team is consistently, because it's never going to be perfect, mm -hmm. your team is consistently working towards delivering that and you're changing and course correcting that as needed, you will be undisruptible. My burger bun is homemade. My beef is locally sourced and made a patty here. The cheese is freshly sliced here. And the ketchup, what we do is it doesn't take much to be different. And that's what it, sometimes devil's in the details, right? Isabel is very, she's talking broadly, but it could be somebody who works in operations said, hey, have we ever thought about making a strawberry flavored one? And totally. Go, Shit. And Shit. you know what? It could be as simple as there's a, in Portland, there's a uh, laundromat. Mm -hmm. And do you know, what do we do? I mean, I, I haven't been to a laundromat. Oh, in many years. <laughs> but, I'm not allowed to touch laundry. I, I make things pink. <laughs> boring as crap though, right? Like it's yeah. dirty. It's not pretty. You sit there. You don't want to leave your clothes there for fear of being stolen. So but what she did is everybody that went there went god they they were taking their computers but mm -hmm. on a little plastic chair and mm -hmm. so what she did is she created a cafe where people could meet do a meeting ha do, do some work enjoy a nice cup of coffee while the freaking clo it's not rocket science right it's like you're there you're already waiting might as well sell more and give a better experience <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love that idea. Oh my goodness. Like, Hey, uh, I got to do my laundry. Let's have a meeting. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't even have, it was so beautiful. The cafe people didn't even really realize that it, that you could go to and get your laundry, laundry done. Right. So <laughs> she just flipped the coin, like get your, get a coffee, get a meeting while you do your laundry, as opposed to be bored as hell waiting for your laundry. 
Either there's way, you're so there. Many, there's so many things that I, I, I'm thinking now are applicable. Getting my dog washed, right? So <laughs> getting your car washed. You put a cafe beside anything that you And Martin, I tell you, sometimes it's just about, hey, what asking your customers while you're shopping here or while you're doing this, what else do you wish you could do? Yeah. Just whole people, they're going to tell you, I wish we could. I'm full of these ideas for sure. <laughs> we call that uh, mix ideas to amplify. The people are already there. They're already using you. And if you don't want them to go somewhere else and you want them to buy more from you, then just merge two things that would go well together that um, to, to serve better, you know? I, I think that go well together is a key thing because yes. not all innovation is good. I like no. to brush my teeth while I'm shopping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not, you know, where are you going to spit your, like, the, yeah, you know, that's, uh, thank you, but that's not going to, that's not going to work. That's right. Uh, <laughs> of course it has to be smart. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I ask all the guests, if there's one piece of influential literature or information it could have been a movie it could have been a book it could have been a coach like for example for me one of the movies that has changed the way that i think about leadership is master and commander 17th mm -hmm. century i love that time when the world was still new people were discovering things it's just it was just it was just fabulous so for me uh, he says men men must be led meaning that if nobody takes leadership, nothing's going to go well. So somebody has to step right. up and say, okay, it's not always going to be the good, the good decision, but at least I'm going to make a decision. That's and right. So that, that for me is one of the key things. I have seven habits of highly effective people. You and I are from the same age. That's when, you know, when the um, Dale Carnegie and all that good stuff came out. So anyways, what is, what is yours? If, if you were to say there's one or two pieces of reference that you always go back to, you go, you know what? This is something I learned a long time ago, and I always go back to. What's that? You know, uh, two pieces and and a, and, a, and a final thought. So first mm -hmm. piece is the book Essentialism from Greg McCowan. Okay, never heard Essential of it. I was raised an essentialist, so it's this book right here. And as you can see, there's a there's, there's a lot lots of, of little, yeah essentialism oh, okay. from Greg McCowan. It's the disciplined pursuit of less. And we're not talking Ooh. about things necessarily. It's yeah. not about suddenly cleaning up your closet. Okay. It really is about understanding the life of an essentialist versus the life of, of a non-essentialist. And I, funny enough, I was raised an essentialist without knowing. I didn't have oh, the language okay. behind it. And okay, this cool. gave me language for how I was raised. And I thought the whole world was like this, except yeah, that course. very few of us are for some reason. <laughs> so Essentialism is his first book. His second book is Effortless. These two reads will completely change the way you see things, behave, act, and the results that actually come from your effort and your genius. So uh, both, so Essentialism and if Effortless from Greg McCowan, amazing reads, super simple too. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not yeah. a complicated read and you'll connect, you'll resonate the examples in there. You'll be like, oh hell, he's talking directly to me. <laughs> and the last thought I would like to share is, and that's in our one, I've got two TED Talks. Okay. My second one was done with my life partner, Margarita. Oh um, and what we talk about in there is three strategies that 
that help businesses grow, but when applied to relationship, mm -hmm. it helps also relationships. And one, the, the overarching theme in there is treating yourself like a million dollar client client. We're oh. all amazing when we work with a very important or any client for that matter, mm -hmm. you just, you're always there to help and serve. And, but if it's a million dollar client, you wouldn't suddenly not show up for a meeting. You would mm -hmm. not show up for a, a dinner date or, you know, a, a lunch meeting yet when it comes to us working on our business and we have a, a time slot in our calendar for it, most of the time, if it's for us, we don't have a time slot. Mm -hmm. I work leap zone is a client of leap zone. Mm -hmm. So when I see Leap Zone in my calendar, it's as good as if I saw Oprah that and I show up. So for me, the, the last thought I would like to add here for CEOs and teams is learn to treat yourself and your business and your brand as importantly as you would treat a million dollar client. That is, you know what? That is so true. I have the hardest time of doing that. I put my physical fitness, I put my family, I put, and Urgio is always the company that I work with either early in the morning or late at night. And I would not treat any client like that. You are right. absolutely, Isabel, that is words of wisdom that you're teaching me today that I think is, is critical. Um, no. Wow. Full circle. I yeah. love it. Love it. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Well, I'm glad good till the last drop, right? <laughs> that's that's right. I, well, I mean, last drop, I think like, I'm, I'm, we've been at this for an hour now. And so <laughs> I think there's going to be a part two for sure. Cause I think I we would welcome it. There's so many things we could dig on together. Oh, I mean, that's my insane. goodness yeah. gracious, goodness gracious. Did you have fun? I did. I, you know, I love conversations with smart, intelligent people such as you. I was going to say, you're talking to me. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, you know how to have a, a great conversation and how to add to the conversation. Not every uh, podcast interviewers are made equal. Oh, well, why? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the, the team, we're talking to the team and I said, and they said, oh, Martin, we're doing great. I said, okay, what's the definition of great for what CEOs talk about? Because for me, it was a, a journey in, in COVID. I'm not traveling anymore. We can do this. Can, yeah. And if it wasn't for the podcast, I wouldn't be able to have chats with you. Yeah. With that, work gets busy and we get caught up in all the good stuff. And and I said, so what's a definition of good? And he said, well, we're close to 10,000. I don't know if it's listeners or downloads or anything. And everybody's like, that's really good. Okay. Why, thank you. <laughs> and we did it in four months, five months. So thank you very, very much for that. That means a lot to me. Um, can people reach out? I'm sure that you're on LinkedIn for sure. Yeah, for sure. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Um, our website is filled with amazing value, absolutely free. And if you want to have a conversation with me as to how I can help you and your team and your brand grow and scale, uh, leapzonestrategies.com. And there's a needs assessment on there. And that's Sweet. the best way of getting straight to me. Fabulous. Thank you very much, Isabel, for being on the show. It's wonderful to see you and chat with you. Anytime I would come back happily. Well, and, and after a month's worth, you, I mean, you haven't lost a beat, Isabel. So thank you very much. That's good. <laughs>
<laughs> With that said, my name is Martin Hunter. I'm the host of What CEOs Talk About, where we translate. And today we did a good job translating uh, strategy into frontline operations. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening and watching. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to What CEOs Talk About. Make sure to click subscribe to get notified about future episodes or check us out at www.whatceostalkabout.com.